Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. If you would indulge me, I'd like everyone who has a phone with you, take it out. Raise it up so I can see it, like we're at a concert. Take a few minutes. This isn't a trick. I'm not going to ask the ushers to run up and take it or anything. Uh, I just want you to hold it up, and now, the hard part, I want you to turn it off. I'm doing it too. I'm doing it too. No double standard. Turn it off. Take a few seconds. Mine's off. How's it feel to do that? Uh, when I asked you, you good? That's a good answer. Uh, when you hit that button, if you, actually, if you actually turned it off, what emotions hit your body? Was it, uh, was it f- a feeling of stress or fear? What am I missing right now? What if, what if someone needs to get hold of me and, and, or calls me and I need to answer? Was it anger? Who's this guy think he is? This is my phone, my choice. Maybe, just maybe, you're feeling a little twinge of guilt. Man, that was a lot harder than it should have been. I don't do that often enough. I should do that all the time when I come to church, maybe. See, researchers in the education system, they've, they've actually studied the effect that smartphones have on our, our attention, specifically on students' attention spans. And, and they found that even without the sound on, even when they're on do not disturb, even when they're switched off, even when they're not even visible, they distract us. They steal away some of our attention. Even when they're under our sermon manuscript, they can steal away some of our attention. So I asked you all to turn it off, not because I want you to just pay attention to me more, but because I hope it proves a point that I need to hear just as much as anyone else, that our phones exercise a powerful influence over our minds and over our hearts. They pull us away from whatever else is in front of us, and they... Uh, they distract us. They pull us away. But here's the thing. It's not just a problem with phones. The phones are a symptom. Can they be addictive? Sure. But ultimately, the issue is not with what's in our pockets or what's on our desk, but what's in our hearts. There is a heart issue at work when we overuse our phones. That heart issue is avoidance. We avoid what's really in front of us. Maybe some of you didn't have a problem turning off your phone. Maybe screen time just isn't an issue for you. Praise God if that's the case. Uh, But if that's true, if, if it's not an issue, ask yourself, if you have something difficult in your life, a conflict that needs to be addressed, or something challenging or scary that you know you need to get done, where does your heart go? See, the phone or screen time, that, that's one way to avoid difficult things, like pain or, or conflict, and that tends to be my method. Uh, but another way that I tend to avoid things is I get busy. Uh, I, I accomplish tasks. I come up with a laundry list of things to do. Uh, if there's a call that I know I need to make or if, if I need to do something really difficult, um, it's amazing the chores that begin to come to mind around the apartment that I know I need to get done right now. Uh, man, I, I really needed to, to, to fold that laundry. I need to unload the dishwasher. 
uh, I, you know, I don't think I checked the mail today. Uh, maybe there's something I could do to help with dinner before Steffi gets home. And it just goes on and on. Uh, uh, Judson calls this kind of activity procrastinating. Um, <laughs> a few months ago, a few months ago, I actually read a, a fascinating article about procrastination. Uh, it was fascinating because folks are, are studying this this impulse within us that that pulls us to. Uh, that, that works against our own future self-interest, in the, in the present moment, they say, there is actually a reaction in our amygdala, our, our threat detection center in our brain. So when we're confronted with a task that is difficult or challenges our, our self-esteem or our, our feeling of self-worth, the amygdala drives us to choose another task. It drives us away from whatever we need to do to do something else that may look productive, may feel productive, may actually be something we should be doing, but it's not the challenging thing. And that challenging issue or conflict that we're avoiding just gets worse and worse and worse. So this impulse is nothing new. You know, we didn't invent it when we discovered the amygdala. Uh, this isn't something that millennials invented. It's actually something that the church has had names for for centuries. See, th this general impulse that is destructive, that, that pulls us away from God, that turns us away from what's good and true and beautiful, that's sin. That's sin. Uh, the, the impulse that we have to, to make us um, avoid things is called sloth. Sloth. Not, that's not the funny animals in South American rainforest. It's a deadly sin. So that, that impulse that we have to, to, the, to make choices that pull us away from God, uh, that sin. God, when Adam and Eve, when they're in the garden, sin enters the world when, they have, when they're in paradise. They have every green plant, every fruit tree that they could want to eat from. But instead... They choose to eat from the one that's forbidden them in an attempt to make themselves like God. That's how sin enters the world. Sin is what Paul describes, uh, the Apostle Paul, in, in the book of Romans, chapter 7, when he says, For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Sin. And again, the, the classical Christian name that, that uh, early church leaders came up with to de describe this impulse that we have to avoid what's difficult to our own self-harm is sloth. And why do they call it a deadly sin? Well, well in our gospel lesson today, uh, the author Luke shows the power of sloth uh, to draw us away from God. But he also records Jesus taking the problem of sloth head on. And church, I believe that we need to hear his gentle rebuke to Martha. I know I sure need it. So if you have your Bibles, please open them. If you have your phones, they shouldn't be on. Um, <laughs> in our gospel lesson today, we, we get an introduction to, uh, this is, let's see, what is it, Luke chapter 10, uh, at the very end of the chapter. Um, we get an introduction to some of Jesus' best friends. Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus uh, were so close with Jesus that it's likely they hosted him many, many times with his disciples. Uh, Mary is the one who 
very close to Jesus, before Jesus' crucifixion. She anoints him with this very expensive and good-smelling uh, perfume of em- embalming spices and ointment. Uh, and and the, the famous shortest verse of the Bible, Jesus wept, is, is the record of Jesus' reaction to Lazarus' death. So this is the family that's very close with Jesus, and their relationship began with hospitality. Martha, who we assume is the older sister, since the text says it's her home, welcomed Jesus and the disciples to stay with her. Hotels and inns were were rare in those days, so if you wanted to sleep inside or not in a barn, then you had to rely on the hospitality of the local people. Wherever you were passing through, you had to rely on their own hospitality in their homes. So Jesus and his disciples are welcomed in by, by Martha and her sister Mary. They settle in, and Jesus begins to do what a rabbi does. He teaches. And Luke tells us that, that Mary, Martha's younger sister, sits with the other disciples at Jesus' feet. And, and in that culture, sitting at a, a teacher's feet was, was the posture of a disciple, and she listens to him. Now, it's worth pausing here, even though this isn't a major point in the sermon, but it's worth pausing to recognize that Jesus is doing something amazing here. The rabbis of his day, without exception, would never have taught women. In fact, they would often only, other, only teach other future rabbis. So the fact that Mary and Martha are welcomed in to Jesus' teaching, to sit at his feet as disciples is something very radical and countercultural. They have every right to hear Jesus' words uh, proclaimed and explained. It's worth pausing to mention that. Martha, though, is, is busy. What we read in this morning in the NIV Bible says she was distracted with all the preparations that had to be made. So it's not hard to understand her reaction. You know, I think if we've grown up in the church, we've heard Martha's the villain in this story, right? Or she's, she's the one that we're not supposed to be like. But if we actually read this with, with sort of fresh eyes, I think we have to admit that we agree with Martha. It's not hard to understand. Lord, don't you care? My sister has left me to do all the work by myself. Tell her to help me. Martha's got stuff to get done. She has guests. She's a flurry of activity. And here's Mary sitting around like a bump on a log. She's not doing anything. Again, I think if we're reading this honestly, we, we would probably side with Martha, right? Hospitality is important to God. It's one of the core values of this church, right? I mean, Abraham shows hospitality, and who does it turn out to be? It's God. Martha's showing hospitality to who? God. I mean, imagine if you're hosting a, a large dinner party Dinner's riding on your shoulders. You've got half an hour to get the meal on the table. And suddenly everyone but you decides to have a Bible study. <laughs> would you? Would you join in? No. <laughs> so I think if we read, uh, read this with fresh eyes, we, we resonate with her complaint. But uh, even before Martha's outburst, I, I think a deeper reading of the text clues us into the fact that there's some other issues at work here beneath the surface. The NIV says that she's distracted with all the preparations that had to be made, but I think a better translation of the Greek phrase would actually be 
She was distracted about much serving. So she's not just putting out chips and dip and a tray of olives. She's not just doing what's essential to hospitality. Uh, She's doing way, way more than she needs to be doing. She's unnecessarily busy. She's overdoing it. And it's making her distracted. Again, the Greek word for distracted here is important. A literal translation would be, for distracted, would be drawn away or dragged around. Martha is passively letting the tasks in her life rule her life, and it's drawing her away from Jesus. And this is the sin of sloth. Now, as I was studying this passage, I was surprised to hear Martha connected with sloth. And you may be surprised too. But, because uh, she's doing all the work, right? She's doing so much work. But I think that's because I've tended to, and then probably a lot of us have tended to, equate sloth with laziness. But they're actually two different things. Laziness is just doing nothing, right? You're not paying attention, you're just zoning out. It's not resting, it's not sleeping. Those are, those are good things. It's just doing nothing. Willful inaction. It's a, it can be a symptom of sloth. It is a symptom of sloth that we'll, we'll talk about. But it's not sloth itself. And that's an important distinction because I think it's also common for folks to confuse sloth with depression. And it's very important that we understand, very important that I, that I say this, even though they can be related, even though some of the symptoms can overlap, sloth and depression are two different things. Depression is not a sin, okay? There is clinical depression that is physiological, may even require medical intervention. There is spiritual depression that, again, can can overlap, can look like sloth in some ways, but it's distinct. It may have causes that are outside our own control. And we actually do great damage if if we think or if we say that any type of depression can simply be solved by stopping being lazy, by trying harder. Uh, getting off our lazy bums and putting our noses to the grindstone. Anyone who has struggled with depression will tell you that does not work. The, the ugly truth that we see in this passage, and one that sadly goes unnoticed in, in much of our country today, is that doing a lot of things, working hard, keeping busy, is not a defense against sloth. See, the, the temptation I see myself and, and a lot of others uh, is to uh, wear a, a full schedule or, or a busy calendar, kind of like a badge of honor, right? Uh, look at all I have to do this week. How's your week going? It's really busy. These sorts of statements can convey a, a certain importance, uh, like look at what we, we're doing that no one else could do. Look at all the time we're giving away to others, to our work, to our school. The ugly truth is that being busy, having a schedule that is constantly pulling us around beyond our limits, is actually an indicator that sloth has a hold on our lives. Uh, Frederick Beekner, who's an American author and and a Presbyterian pastor, he put it this way, sloth is not to be confused with laziness. A slothful man may be a very busy man. He is a man who goes through the motions, who flies on automatic pilot. 
Like a man with a bad head cold, he has mostly lost his sense of taste and smell. People come and go, but through glazed eyes, he hardly notices them. He is letting things run their course. He is getting through his life. So the sin of sloth is not a failure to do work or to stay busy, but rather it's a failure to fully inhabit our lives, to fully engage and be present with our lives, to be half present in whatever given thing we're doing. And this shouldn't be hard for us to picture in our lives, right? Thanks to to our phones and our other devices, it is so easy for work to be interspersed with recreation. We can sit at our desk at work or in in a library. Uh, We can check email here, check the news there. We can listen to podcasts while we do our chores or while we drive. We can scroll through our social media uh, feeds between breaks, and then we can work through lunch. These are are all examples from my own life, by the way. I'm not pointing any fingers. Um, But the consequence is that once we get home, once we're resting, so to speak, uh, our, our recreation and our rest get interspersed with work. Emails and calls and texts can, can break up these small chunks of leisure time or family time to the point where it all just feels roughly the same. And we start to get on autopilot and we just hardly notice who comes, who goes. Now maybe, maybe for some of you, this way of living is actually a conscious choice. You don't want to engage because there's something going on in your life that you don't want to deal with right now. Maybe there's a conflict you're avoiding. Maybe uh, there's some uh, guilt or shame in your life that is affecting your, your mind. Uh, we, don't, we don't know for sure, but Jesus' words to Mar- Martha uh, give a little bit of a sense that she's avoiding something through busyness. There's something on her mind. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. But for others of us, this avoidance and this lack of engagement with reality can become kind of just how we live life all the time. We have day after day filled with going from one task to the next, and then we get home, and what do we do? We zone out, turn on Netflix and zone out. We let things run their course. We get through life. Uh, Richard John Newhouse, who founded the... Uh, journal First Things, he puts it more pointedly. Modern sloth, he says, is evenings without number, obliterated by television, evenings neither of entertainment nor of education, but a narcotic defense against time and duty. Ouch. (laughs) It definitely gets me. And this, he wrote that before smartphones, by the way, and, and media news feeds. Uh, I, can't, I can't tell you how many times I've had something just playing in the background just to have something on, just to keep the noise going, help me disengage. So if sloth sometimes looks like busyness, sometimes looks like laziness, zoning out, uh, what's the big deal? Why do these early church leaders and saints call it a deadly sin? I mean, I, I'm certainly describing it in a poor light, so I'm showing my bias, but what's the big deal, Really? Who cares? So what? Have you looked at the world lately? Have you looked at my life lately? Can you blame me for not wanting to fully engage? Can you blame me for wanting to get through it rather than 
dwell in it. The problem with sloth and, and the thing that makes it so deadly is that it leads to spiritual apathy. When sloth progresses and grows in our lives, it leads to numbness in all aspects of life. And that includes our faith. We begin to ask, why does this matter? I just don't care. Worshiping God, community with the people of God, God's mission in the world, I just don't care. I just don't feel it. The Bible just doesn't speak to me. See, the fact of the matter is that that faith is like a, a muscle. The things that will build it up and make it grow, prayer, deep, reflective reading of Scripture, of the Bible, communal worship, other spiritual disciplines, these are activities that take time, energy, and attention. And those three things, time, energy, and attention, are the three things that sloth demands from us. You cannot be busy and have time to reflect deeply on God's Word. You just can't. You cannot have your attention split five different ways between your kids, your work email, your your newsfeed, your homework, and also read scripture with any kind of depth. See, sloth demands the the spiritual high, the, the mountaintop experience, the radical encounter with God without the time and energy and attention required. And unfortunately, Uh, There are a lot of options out there for this kind of fast food spirituality. There are plenty of churches and authors and musicians who figured out that in order to work with sloth, they have to produce an emotive experience in the one hour a week people will come to church. Or or they know that they they have to produce the, the top 10 things that will lead to radical transformation in your life. Or they have to give you that that perfect cocktail of of inspiration and self-esteem that will take less than 10 minutes to read because you got a dozen other things to get to in the morning. Sadly, all these experiences do is enable sloth. They, They make sloth even worse. These things that purport themselves to be food for faith simply become one more way of disengaging from our lives. And it's a, it's a vicious cycle. Our faith is weak and numb. We get anxious about it. We seek to disengage. Our faith gets weaker and number and so on. Until one day we find that we just don't care anymore. Sloth is a far bigger threat to our faith than any argument you'll hear from another religion or an atheist. It's not a direct challenge to our faith. It weakens it and numbs it until it just goes away without a fight. So how do we overcome sloth? Well, let's look again at the passage. Martha's busyness was drawing her away from Jesus, right? The many things she was upset and worried about were stealing away her attention from Jesus. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So here, here in Jesus' gentle, loving rebuke, you can hear the care in his voice, Martha, Martha. We get the most important truth that I or any other preacher here could say. If you don't remember anything I've said to this point, listen well 
to what I'm about to say. There's only one thing in your life that is necessary. Jesus Christ. Your relationship with Jesus is the single most important thing in your life. Your relationship with Jesus is the single most important thing about you. If you attend to him, if you get this one thing right, it will never be taken away from you. If you don't, it doesn't matter how financially secure you are, it doesn't matter how good your grades are, or how good at hospitality you are. Your relationship with Jesus is more important than anything else in your life, bar none. See, sloth wants to, it wants to turn our priorities on their head so that we're consistently spending our time and energy and attention on secondary things. Sloth wants our schedule full so that we put off until tomorrow what we need to pay attention to today and every day. This is why I thank God that he has placed us in a community, in a church, because we can support one another in keeping our priorities straight. Just as Jesus reminded Martha, we can also point one another back to Jesus when our lives start to get so filled that we don't have time for him. And God has also given us a great gift with the gift of Sabbath. Sabbath is so much more than simply not doing work. It's not just stopping one kind of thing so that we can do other kinds of things that we've been meaning to get done. It's not meant to be a a day that we take off from our jobs so we can get all the chores done around the house or so we can fill a day with non-work activities or so we can zone out before going back to our busy lives. Sabbath restores the boundary between work and rest because we simply stop. We stop, and we're still engaged and still attentive. We stop what we're doing, and that allows, God, that allows us to notice what God is doing when we're not doing anything. Sabbath is an act of worship. Now, living this way takes courage. Aligning our lives according to the priorities of God's kingdom taking the reins of our own schedules rather than letting busyness happen to us, truly inhabiting our own lives and engaging in what is most important and fighting that impulse to avoid and disengage from conflict and struggle and pain, these are courageous acts. These are acts of courage. Living this way will require saying no, sometimes even to good things. And there are a lot of folks out there, perhaps even in in the church or in your family, who will treat us like we're lazy for having our priorities straight or for living within our limits instead of constantly pushing against them. But we get this courage, we get the spiritual resources that we need to resist sloth from the one who we need. Just as Jesus came to stay at the home of Martha and Mary, he came and lived among us on earth. Just as he even braved the family dynamics of this, these friends, uh, he also faced the broken dynamics of this world. He faced political strife. He faced hunger. He faced the fear of death. He faced the desertion of friends. He even faced death itself on the cross because he was completely focused on his father's will. 
And it's through his obedience unto death, through his resurrection and ascension, and through his Holy Spirit that he bought for us the power and the courage and the grace that we need to overcome sloth. To engage and inhabit our own lives and to devote ourselves to the only thing we need, Jesus Christ. Now, maybe the reason you want to disengage in your life or in your faith is, is guilt or shame. You know you haven't lived up to the, the constantly changing uh, expectations of our culture, or, or you know you haven't lived up to God's ideal. Maybe like me, you've spent a lot of time zoned out, and you know that you've, you've missed some of what God has for you. Maybe re-engaging with your faith, faith would be painful, like, like using a muscle that's atrophied. But if that's true, know that grace abounds for you. The blood of Jesus covers your sins, your shame. The blood of Jesus shouts louder than your fears that you are a daughter or, or a son of God. The blood of Jesus cries out that the one person that you need loves you enough to die for you. That the one person you need was willing to go to hell and back because he wants you to be with him for eternity. May we be people who hold one another accountable for our full schedules, who remind one another of our true priority, who build up one another's faith. May we be a people who live within our limits, fully engaged with our lives. May we find creative solutions for ourselves, for our families, and for one another so that our whole community can truly enjoy the gift of Sabbath. May God jog us out of our spiritual apathy and give us the courage we need. May we fix our attention on Jesus, the one thing, the one person we need. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.